God, we're in Ecclesiastes 2 this morning, but before we look at the message, um, I just caught word that they've taken Alex Lambert to the hospital. He has a fever, and uh, we want to just take a moment and lift up Alex. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the light and the joy that Alex brings here, God. Thank you for his family. And Lord, we just pray for him now. You you know, Lord, what he needs. And we ask for your healing. We ask for your guidance at the place where they're going to treat him medically. Father, uh, Lord, just just work, Lord. I pray that you just... Uh, just let each and every one of the family know you're there, God. Lord, we just we need you. In your name we pray. Amen. We're in Ecclesiastes 2. I can tell the message how an uplook can change your outlook. Uh, as I thought about it, it really goes from outlook to inlook to uplook. A journey toward real satisfaction. And... Uh, Heard a story about a little boy that loved baseball. and This little guy he had on his baseball uniform, man, he was decked out. He was out in the yard. And he threw the ball up in there and he took a swing and he missed. And he said, strike one for the greatest hitter in the history of baseball. Threw it up in the air once again, swung. Strike two for the greatest hitter in baseball. He inspected the bat closely, thought, man, something's wrong here. Something I don't quite understand. He took the ball, he threw it up in the air one more time. He had his eye carefully on that ball, but when he swung, strike three. The little fellow thought, what in the world's going on? He looked down, he thought for a few moments, and he said, Wow! To the greatest pitcher in the history of baseball! He was going to keep a special outlook. You know, quite frankly, it's easy in this world not to have a good outlook. If it was Solomon, he'd be saying, why do I want to play this stupid game anyway? I mean, it's not fair. And as we look at Solomon, he, he just kind of, as you go through this section of Ecclesiastes, you see a guy who's just cynical, just to be honest with you. It's kind of like cotton candy at the fair, you know? You've got this small amount of sugar that turns into a large fluff. And he takes this small amount of what life's supposed to be and just turns it into a bunch of emptiness. And so, let's look here in Ecclesiastes chapter... We're going to look at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12, actually to the end of the chapter. But I think for our reading, I just want to start at verse 24 and read those last three verses. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, you find that text to stand in God's honor as I read aloud. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Let's pray. 
Master, I always feel so humbled to have this great privilege, Lord, of being able to share Your truth to Your people. And God, I'm, I'm not worthy of that or really capable of that in my power. But I plead and beg with You for a true filling of the Holy Spirit. Master, I just pray that, Lord, uh, You're able to really work. You don't need much to do a lot. And I'm counting on that, Lord, this morning. That You grab a hold of our hearts, God. That we might catch a glimpse of what You want, Lord. Father, just speak to us, Lord. Get a hold of us, God. Help us see what we have, Lord. That we might have an outlook that comes from an uplook. And I just thank You, Lord, for each one here. Have your way in the time that remains. We need to hear from you, Master. In your name we pray. Amen. Alright guys, let's uh, first come here to verse 12 and we'll be looking at the outlook here. He says, Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? He says, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. Folly. Madness. You know, I thought of youth and I thought of all the trouble that you can get into. I thought of those I've known who have been addicted to drugs and and, and to strong drink and to crazy behavior. Uh, yesterday we were at a basketball tournament Nathan was in that lasted a long time. We started the morning just after 8.30 and got back in at 8 last night. And I think I was more tired than they were. I, I don't think they thought so. <laughs> but anyway, uh, while we were there, this one kid, he went flying into the wall. And he, he laid... and. Uh, he didn't move hardly. He moved a little his legs, but they came. The ambulance came, and they wanted to make sure he was okay, and they wheeled him off. And this one parent I was sitting next to, he goes, Oh, man, I think back, you know, when I was young, he said, I, I had some real experience with, with those uh, body boards there, you know, that you got to lay on flat. He said, motorcycle accidents, car accidents. He said, just crazy things, you know. So I know I know how to strap somebody in because I've experienced it. I thought, man, that just how do teenage boys ever live, you know? They're just nuts. Uh, Jeff had showed me this morning when he came in early to get ready for choir practice, evidently there was a big party in the parking lot behind the church last night. There were beer cans strewn all over the place. There was a sign on the door that someone had written in a pen. Had a party here. But you know, we talk about the madness and folly of strong drink, of drugs. I think probably the most popular addiction paraphernalia that we have here at Kingsway, especially from this past month, uh, is a spoon, a fork, and a knife. Men, guys, we eating ourselves to death, but uh, as they say, what a way to go. Madness, folly. I often wonder if the angels, you know, if you could sit around, you know how everybody likes to sit around and fraternize? I wonder at break time if the angels ever sit around and say... Man, I sure hope that the Lord God doesn't give me an assignment with some teenage boys. You know, they just wear me out. They're just so busy and so reckless and so crazy. But it's not just teenage boys. 
When we leave God out, we can be reckless and crazy and make choices that cause a lot of pain. And he looks at that. He says, man, I I looked around me and he said there were just all these crazy choices that were being done. He says, the wise man has his eyes in his head while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. In other words, he thought, if I walk wise, if I make crazy decisions, one thing's going to happen regardless. I'm going to die. There's no way to escape death. Death is that bully on the block that's just waiting to attack. That's nearby. It's going to happen. And he goes on, he says, Then I I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then can I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise men, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. You know, if, if you look at the pyramids, they're a memorial to pharaohs of the past. They're buried within. You look at the Taj Mahal that was really by a, a ruler of a, a land whose wife died. It was a memorial unto her. And there are places that are really quite impressive that are tributes to those who have passed. But the bottom line, after a certain amount of time, people forget. No matter how precious our memories dim. And it's hard for us to keep in focus the memory of someone. I think of my grandmother when she died. And a couple of days later, I talked to my mom. And I said, how are you doing, mom? And she began to softly cry. And she said, I just wish the world would stop for just a couple of minutes. And remember, she's gone. And you know, I never have forgotten that. Isn't it true? No matter how much we would like for the world to just stop and to take notice of something meaningful to us, the world doesn't stop. It just keeps trudging along. And and Solomon makes this observation that the world just keeps going. And then he moves from this comparison of of folly and, and a wise walk, and then he moves to those who work and don't work. Look beginning at verse 17. He says, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had told for under the sun because I must lead them to the one who comes after me. Solomon was a visionary. He might not have done the work with his hands, but he saw the work to be done. And he put in the long hours. He was a workaholic to make sure that work was accomplished, to get the right guys doing the right projects and have their gifts being used in the right places. I mean, he he worked hard. There's certainly nothing wrong with hard work. Uh, It's funny, I read about this guy that was retired and and he had some time on his hands, so he was watching this project where they were adding on to a mall near where he lived. And he would go every day and he'd sit and he, he especially liked watching this one guy that operated this big equipment. And man, he just worked so hard. And when once the project was completed, he actually walked up to him and he said, you know, I really admired your work. You're such a conscientious worker. You just work so hard. He said, I just want to, I just want to say thank you. It was joy watching you these days. And the guy looked at him and said, what? He said, I thought you were the supervisor. <laughs> but you know, in a sense, the heavenly supervisor does watch us, doesn't he? The Scripture says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart 
as working for the Lord, not for man. But yet, in his work, he he comes and he says, uh, you know, it doesn't matter because sooner or later, all this hard work is going to be passed on to my kids, to someone else. And, And he begins to worry about that. Notice uh, in verse 20, he says, My heart began to despair all my toilsome labor under the sun, for men may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. He said, I've worked my fingers to my bones. But basically, my kids, they've had it made. They haven't had to work for what they have. They don't understand the value of hard work. They just understand the blessings that have come from the hard work. And I worry about, they're going to get the fruit of my labor, and man, they're going to waste it. They're not going to make use of it the way it should be made use of, and and they're, they're just going to squander it. And you know what's sad about it is you look in history, that's what happened. One of his kids became king, like a spoiled brat, he... He didn't treat people the right way. People got upset with him. The kingdom ended up being split. Became two kingdoms. Um, wealth was squandered. And, and this is what happened. The very fear that he had. And you know, guys, um, as you look through this, you look through that look, and then the end look, praise God as we come down through here for the up look that occurs as we come to the end of the chapter I mean, he goes on in this text. Um, he says, For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Then he must leave all he owns to someone who's not worked for it. Uh, what a, does a man get for all the toil, anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. He says, You know, I sweat all day and I worry all night and it's just meaningless. But then comes the up look. And here's where I really want us to have a focus. Instead of being cynical, may God give us an outlook that comes from an up look. That remembers the Lord. And so uh, let's take some time and, and look at this. First, creation cannot produce satisfaction in verse 24. He says, a man can do nothing better than eat and drink and find satisfaction. In his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. You see, our ability to work all our blessings, everything that we have, even though we may think that we are the author and perfecter of that, we are not. It only comes because of the grace and mercy of our God. I love that verse in the Psalms that says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He is the source of our blessings. He is the one who provides us even the very strength we have to work and to accomplish. He's the source of it all. It's not from within us. Uh, Someone's written these words, Happiness is not found in pleasure, Karen's McCartney said. Lord Byron lived such a life, if anyone did, he wrote the worm, the canker, and the grief are mine alone. Happiness is not found in money. Jay Gould, the American millionaire, had plenty of that. When dying, he said, I suppose I'm the most miserable man on earth. Happiness is not found in position and fame. Lord Beaconsfield enjoyed more than his share of both. He wrote, youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, old age a regret. Happiness is not found in military glory. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his day. Having done so, he wept in his tent because he said, there are no more worlds to conquer. No matter what of the creation we enjoy, 
It doesn't find its meaning apart from the Creator. I love this. Whoever came up with this, they said, the key to happiness, fret not, He loves you. Faint not, He holds you. Fear not, He keeps you. God's gift to us is the ability to enjoy. Uh, Look, as we go on here, um, verse 25, For without Him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases Him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, He gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. I want to work backwards. I want to start with this last phrase. He says, He will hand it over to the one who pleases God. You know, we may think the stuff we accumulate is going to fulfill us and it's going to last forever. But guys, it's not. Someone has said you don't see a hearse with a U-Haul. We can pack the stuff, but the stuff's not going to follow us to eternity. The stuff's not going to fulfill the heart. The stuff's not going to give us the satisfaction that we crave. The stuff is not enough. Um, I love the story of the philosopher Voltaire who, man, he hated Christianity. He hated the idea of God. He wanted to be in control. And he said, within a hundred years, Christianity will be dead. It will be no more. It will be only a memory and a faint memory at that. Within 50 years, not only had Voltaire died, but his house had become the center of the Geneva Bible Society and it was packed to the top with Bibles to be sent out. So we see who got the last laugh there. And the truth of the matter is, everything we have, it's the Lord's. Even we belong to the Lord. You are not your own. You were bought with a price of the Lord. He gives you the ability to enjoy. And yeah, life, as you look at this passage, he, um, he says, uh, look at these monotonous things we do every day. A man can do nothing better than to eat. We have to eat every day. We have to drink every day. We have to work every day. Find satisfaction in his work. And if we're not careful, we can get caught up in the schedule of the monotony. Go through this cycle day after day after day. And I think God is saying here, Stop! Don't take those for granted. Look for the blessings that are around you. Look for the hand of God that is evident in all those activities. Everything that you have, everything that is yours, you can enjoy. It doesn't have to be a drudgery. But you need to learn to see God's hand in those things. You need to understand that He is there and that He loves you and guys that He will carry you through. Um, also, uh, at basketball yesterday, not only was this uh, parent there who uh, was talking about the wacky days as a youth that has now resulted in his back problems, there was another parent there who we've been praying for that has gone through such a difficult time. Years ago, um, they lived in Hawaii. And this lady and four others went into business together. They worked together and they found a place in Hawaii. It's about the only place they could afford to rent. And so they worked out of this office space. But they found out later, the reason they got a good deal on it was there was some kind of toxic material in that office space that destroyed their health. And those people began to die. Eight years ago, the fourth one of the five died. And now, um, 
This friend of ours is the fifth person. Eight years longer than anybody else he's lived. But because of whatever this toxic stuff is, it's destroying her body. She's growing weaker and weaker. Um, and she doesn't talk about it. My wife pretty much, I think, really has a heart, so she'll ask her about it. But she doesn't talk about it. But she said she had to sleep um, a whole lot to be able to come out there. She had to get a rest because she doesn't have a lot of energy anymore. And it seemed, it's progressing. Uh, it's the last report that she received. Man, it's just so hard. She's got some teenage kids. You just don't know what you have, guys. You've got to enjoy every moment. And one of the things we love about this lady is you look at her, she doesn't walk around in self-pity. She, she doesn't look like she's defeated or, or beaten down, but she has a smile on her face and she's upbeat. Why? Because I believe she's taking this to heart. To live every moment as a gift from the Lord. To enjoy the blessings that you have. <laughs> to make use of them. And that's so critical. Um, she was so proud talking about uh, their daughter who just recently went overseas um, to a to a country that... Just a lot of poverty. She went back to a village and actually had an opportunity. They were going to sacrifice a baby, guys. And she had the opportunity to say to these people who hadn't even seen a white person before. And, and they wanted to, you know, they didn't know how to treat her. They almost wanted to worship her. And she said, no, don't do that. And they wanted to sacrifice this baby. And she said, you don't have to sacrifice this baby because there's already been a sacrifice made that paid the price. And for the first time, they didn't sacrifice a baby. Amen. And, you know, I mean, how can you not? I mean, you know, I know her health is fading, but she looks at her daughter and she says, she's got a passion for Jesus. And her family loves the Lord and, and um, they, that they are committed to the Lord and they serve the Lord. And they're faithful to the Lord. And she says, you know, even though my health's failing, I've got so much. <laughs> and so do you. And so do I. May God give us the strength, guys, to enjoy every moment. To, to live now. To be aware of God's love. Uh, I want to close with a story I ran across. I, I think that illustrates this well. Um, there was a professor that was invited to speak at a military base. And he was picked up by this soldier named Ralph. And as he watched Ralph, he was amazed. Because Ralph lived in the moment. Um, they went to pick up the baggage and, uh, at the airport and Ralph kept disappearing. He disappeared one time to help an elderly lady. But he came back and he was just smiling, grinning ear to ear. And, and then he turned around and Ralph was gone again. This time he was picking up two toddlers so they could see Santa Claus. Then he came back again. He was he, he was just man, he was just a joy to be around. He he disappeared again and he offered somebody directions in order to find a place that they were looking for. And so this professor said, Then how do you do that? How do you live in the moment? How how do you what's the story here? And here's what Ralph said. He said, um, I learned it during the war. My job was to clear minefields, and I saw friends meet untimely ends one after another before my eyes. 
I learned to live between steps. I never knew whether the next one would be my last. So I had to get everything I could out of that moment between picking up my foot and putting it down again. Every step felt like a whole new world. Man, that good? Master, help all of us here to live between the steps. To not forget you, but to live in the blessings that are ours. Let's pray. Master, uh, I believe you have spoken to our hearts this morning. We're a cynical bunch. Lord, we don't live between the steps, but we tend to step on stuff. Help us, God. Open our hearts, God. Give us a real love for you, a true affection for you, Master, and for your people and for people. Help us to see that those who live in the madness and folly, they just simply need to see how much you love them. They need a Savior. They need a Redeemer. They need to know you, God. Help us, God, live between the steps that each moment may be a whole new world, that each moment may be an awareness of you. I pray this morning, God, as you have spoken hearts, that we would obey, that we would come forward. It may be for the first time that we have not really taken the step of asking you to come make your home in our hearts to provide forgiveness and a new life. I pray this morning that that one would step toward the front and say to your people and proclaim, I've asked Jesus to come live in my life, to forgive me of my sin, to start anew. If that's where you are, say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Come live inside. For others, Lord, who have just become kind of calloused, not just down and depressed and have forgotten how blessed they are, I pray you open hearts, God, including mine, to see afresh how blessed, how blessed we are. God, our altar is open. I pray you bring your people to pray. Uh, May we just obey you this morning, Lord. May our outlook be from an uplook. Have your way, Master. In your name we ask. Amen.